Hello and welcome into the Emerald Sports Podcast. My name is Shane Hoffman. I'm the head editor here at the Sports Desk. I'm joined by my assistant editor, Charlie Gearing. What's up, guys? And one of our football beat writers, Chris Roulette. Hey, how's it going, guys? So this is going to be kind of a reboot of a former, uh, former excuse me, Emerald Podcast. And we're going to be putting out an episode maybe two per week. Uh, each week, Charlie and I will be joined by one of our writers. So it'll be kind of like a revolving door, if you will. Um, we're going to be breaking down football, men's and women's basketball, um, and likely, you know, some baseball and softball when that comes around as well. Obviously, this week with Oregon's, uh, you know, season opener looming, we're going to be breaking down, you know, some expectations for the team, uh, going over the schedule. Chris is going to guide us into a little deep dive preview of Stanford. Um, we'll highlight some interesting matchups around the Pac-12, and we'll give some game predictions for the game on Saturday. For starters, let's take a look back. You know, the last time we saw this Oregon team in action was the Rose Bowl all the way back in January. Uh, obviously, a lot has changed since then, both in our country and on the football roster. Uh, Herbert's gone. Troy Dye's gone. Several other seniors are gone. Um, with opt-outs, uh, you know, NFL draftees and seniors gone, they've lost 20 players that combined for 495 career starts. So we're going to meet a lot of new faces on this year's team. Uh, Oregon was, you know, a favorite for the Pac-12 uh, championship, obviously. Uh, 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 you know, one of the favorites to really sneak in there into the into the playoff, even. They've slipped down to number 12 in the rankings, um, and they're, they're one of the nation's youngest teams, really. So, Charlie, I'll start with you. You know, what are your observations and, and what are you looking for? Uh, give us a little preview of what this Oregon team, you know, might look like and what's changed. Obviously, a lot of question marks around the roster, both sides of the ball. You've got a lot of opt-outs, like you said, on defense. you got Javon Holland out. you got, uh, you got Thomas Graham out. Um, DeAndre Lenore did come back. Penny Sewell, that's a huge loss. Brady Breeze, too. Um, Brady know. Breeze as well. Huge losses all around. Um, but there are some some positives. Things do look up for the Ducks. I mean, I, I think probably a good hire in in Coach Moorhead. Um, yeah. We'll see how he does under the, the new offense, new quarterback. First time in, in four years, uh, yeah. there will be a new, a new quarterback. So that's another interesting aspect. Um, a lot of difference all around the roster for sure. Let's hit on those hires really quickly before I get to you, Chris. Um, we have we have several. Not only Joe Moorhead, the former Penn State offensive coordinator and Mississippi State head coach, also Brian McClendon was brought in, a former recruiter of the year at Georgia. He recruited guys like Todd Gurley, Nick Chubb, uh, guys who are in the NFL and have had a lot of success. Um, he was the the South Carolina offense coordinator and an interim head coach at Georgia. Um, so he's going to be coaching the receivers and kind of a, a passing game uh, coordinator along with Moorhead there. And then Rod Chance, uh, he replaces Dante Williams, who, you know, kind of unexpectedly left for USC in the offseason, off excuse me. Um, he's, he was a former Oregon analyst. Um, then he went to Minnesota where he coached, uh, coached cornerbacks. And that's kind of going to be the same role here um, for the Ducks. Chris, you know, of those three hires, it's, it's easy to kind of highlight Moorhead. But do you have any thoughts about those hires? Um, I think the main thing, Shane, and uh, this kind of goes along with the coaching staff we already had, it's the recruiting. Yeah. Um, like we just we just talked about all the guys that are going to be leaving from last year's team, but make no mistake, there's still loads of talent all across totally. the board on this totally. roster. Yeah, and I, I think, and Cristobal's been been clear that when he's looking for these coaches, he wants guys that can recruit. That started last year with Avalos, other guys like that, and and they've had success. I think McClendon is a perfect example of that. I mean, his biggest kind of claim to fame was his recruiting. Um, and he, even at South Carolina, developing guys like Debo Samuel, uh, Brian Edwards, guys that are in the league now. Um, so moving on, um, let's let's get a little bit more into kind of the strengths and the weaknesses, expectations maybe of this team. Um, let's go. Let's start by kind of going through the depth chart. Um, they released the depth chart just the other day. We're recording this on a Wednesday. The game will be Saturday, obviously, although this will probably come out on Saturday. Um, let's start at the top. Charlie, you wrote this week about the quarterback battle, if you will. Um, you know, Tyler Shaw looks like the presumptive starter, but I want to ask you, you know, your thoughts on that, you know, positional breakdown, the mentalities, but also do, do we see maybe some of both guys in some of these games? Cause right now it's an or in the depth chart. Absolutely. I, I think you do. I think you will see them trading snaps at some point. Shuck does have, I, I think Shuck is going to get the majority of the snaps at this point. Um, but also I think it's important to realize that a guy like Anthony Brown, you know, Boston college graduate transfer, he's got tons of experience and whether or not he starts, he's going to play a huge role in the quarterback totally. room. And it's already pretty clear. I mean, 
Shuck in, in press conferences several several times has stressed that, you know, Brown is is invaluable in terms of his his leadership and his guidance. Um, Shuck has has not played many snaps in college football. So he can only benefit from that kind of guidance, right? That kind of competition. And I think both of their games have, will will improve because of it. Um, and to, to add to that, Charlie, I think if Shuck does come out in the first game, first couple of games and prove that he should be the number one guy, I think having Brown as a backup in case of emergency, you know, God forbid, uh, disaster strikes, so, you know, an injury, maybe, uh, who knows, maybe he just has a bad game. You got you got a backup option there in Brown. Yeah, and I think to both your points, one reason we might see both is that Moorhead's been known to run the quarterback a lot, something that Oregon fans clamored for last year with Herbert. We saw it at the end of the season uh, to, to, to great effect, uh, great, great results, obviously. Um, but with that comes the, the issue of potential injury. And I think that's one reason we didn't see Herbert rush that much last year. With two guys, both guys that have proven they can be mobile, um, I, I wonder if not only would we see a package for Anthony Brown, who I think, you know, he's had some knee injuries, but on paper you'd probably say is a little bit more athletic just in the open field. Um, but I, I just, I do wonder if, if they have more liberty with running the quarterback because of that. Um, moving down to running back, uh, you know, we have kind of the same crew here. It's been a kind of a three-headed monster. C.J. Verdell's led a, a, a unit with himself, Travis Dye, Cyrus Habibi Likio, um, Sean Dollars, uh, a, a redshirt freshman has kind of worked his way in there with, you know, a lot of athleticism and speed, um, the ability to catch the ball out of the backfield. C.J. Verdell, I mean, look, he's the returning um, leading rusher in the Pac-12. He's had back-to-back 1,000-yard seasons. He really hit his stride at the end there, um, had some great games in the postseason. Do you guys think that there's a hierarchy or of any type or for the third, really third straight season here, do we see kind of a three-headed attack? Chris, what do you think? I don't see any reason to to switch what they've been doing with those guys. You know, obviously Verdell is going to probably be the the workhorse getting most of the carries. But, you know, if you're on the goal line. He's got a lot of injuries yeah, in his past. Yeah, right. Or But even if we if the Ducks get on the goal line, Habibi Likio, yeah. you know, he's been pounding it in the last couple of years. And, and Travis Dye is an interesting one because he's very useful in the passing game. Right. As well as as a returner. So yeah. he's really just a, a jack of all trades. And I think I think a guy like like him and also Sean Dollars, that speed could be really nice in Joe Moorhead's system. What do you think, Charlie? Absolutely. I think I mean, I think uh, Moorhead is going to plan to to run a very complex offense. I think they're going to be passing the ball a lot to the running backs. Guys like guys like Die, guys like Sean Dollars. I think he could see some more touches this year. Um, he's going to break into the lineup, I think. It's a super well-rounded class, and and like you said, Chris, uh, Likio is going to be, as he was last year, a great short yardage guy, totally. rounded pound guy. Moving down, we get to receiver, and receiver was kind of the biggest question entering last season. You had with with uh, you had a lot of unproven guys. You had guys like Johnny Johnson, Jalen Red, who had made plays, but also were kind of synonymous with dropped passes. Uh, Johnny Johnson had a phenomenal year last year. He, I think by the end of the year, had kind of fell into that maybe number one receiver role, depending on how you look at it. Jalen Red, though, I mean, you know, freakishly talented, both, you know, sometimes rushing the ball, screen passes, um, less of a, of a deep threat, but still super useful. Micah Pittman, if he's fully healthy, he's going to probably be a start. We have, I should mention, it's Johnny Johnson and Micah Pittman, and then in the slot is Jalen Red, but I think the biggest storyline here is there's so many contributors that I think Oregon might even have trouble getting everybody on the field. I mean, you have a guy like Chris Hudson, who they've talked up so much, um, a, a freshman with, with freakish athleticism as well. You've got the, the lanky six foot five, Brian Addison. You've got Josh Delgado who had some plays last year as a freshman. Um, and then Devin Williams, the redshirt sophomore transfer from USC, who is another big body about six, four, are there guys that jump out below the, the starter? We have Johnny, we have Micah, and we have Jalen. Is there a guy below that trio that you think is most likely to, to break out, whether or not there's an injury, but just to, to kind of turn heads, Charlie? I think you could definitely see Devin Williams pop out this year. Uh, both quarterbacks have, have spoken about how they are definitely getting a lot, of, a lot of chemistry with him in the practices and in the scrimmages it showed as well. Um, he's definitely a guy, a lot of athleticism, a lot of length, speed, definitely a dangerous target 
for this offense. Yeah. Chris, what about yourself? Um, you know, obviously Chris Hudson, excited to see what he can do. He's been talked talked about a lot. Uh, but Brian Addison, you know, big six foot five, like you said. I, I'd love to see him, you know, go up for some deep balls, go up over smaller DBs maybe and, and make a, a grab in the back of the end zone or something like that. Yeah, and I think Joe Moorhead will probably really stress that vertical attack, which we saw at times last year. I mean, Herbert, and we've seen in the NFL, can can really air it out. But I think Oregon fans for for several years now were upset with the lack of, you know, kind of aggressive play calling. And I think that's what Joe Moorhead brings. I think Hudson is a guy, you know, it's, it's hard with coach speak because it's hard to tell, you know, they talk a guy up, how much will he really play? Hudson has the kind of stature to be a guy that could be really explosive in this offense. We've seen those kind of Penn State slot guys, deep threats when when um, Moorhead was there, kind of go to the NFL. And I think I think they'll work him in, but I think we'll see a lot of bodies because they're going to do that spread offense kind of deal. Moving down, this is a quick hitter. Tight end, um, Hunter Camp Moyer's back, a redshirt senior, more of a blocking tight end. McCormick is the guy. I mean, you know, he's missed back-to-back years, uh, you know, season-ending injuries now. Um, you know, he played kind of sparingly uh, as a sophomore, I believe. Um, he's a guy that you look at as maybe a maybe a starter there. They do a lot of two tight end sets. You still got Spencer Webb, who proved to be a really good receiver. Um, and then, you know, at the bottom there, uh, DJ Johnson, Patrick Herbert. Um, thoughts from the tight end position? There's not many here. Do, do we see Cam McCormick reassert himself now that he's healthy? What are our thoughts there? Um, I think uh spencer webb's ability to catch the ball is going to get him a lot of playing time like you said last year we saw him make a lot of plays um and it's just it's i think he's just another weapon for this offense you know i would agree for sure but i do think that mccormick could play a role this year um i think it's a well-rounded group camp moyer's huge um great blocker um and yeah i think spencer webb could definitely come back into the lineup as well play a bigger role yeah Offensive line, a lot of new faces. I mean, they lost everybody, quite literally. Uh, Panay Sewell, after he opted out, he was he was kind of the, the last remaining guy. Everybody else was a senior. Um, I believe three of those four went on to the NFL. Um, so, you know, a, across the board, new faces. But but guys that have experience, guys that have been on, around the team for a while, have gotten reps. Um, you look at a guy like Stephen Jones, who's going to start at either left or right tackle. Um I, th- I think that the story here is there's there's not much to go off now necessarily, but it's it's kind of like you either trust you know Mirabal, Cristobal, and the coaching staff, or you don't. And I, I personally, I I think they're going to figure it out. I think it might take a while, um, a few games maybe, but I think by the end of the season, there's no reason uh, to think they couldn't be you know really clicking because these are guys that have you know worked together even if it was on a second unit um, because that continuity on the first uh, first line. Um, are there any positions that jump out at you guys? It's, it's hard to tell with, with offensive linemen, obviously. Yeah, it is hard to tell, but I, I definitely agree with you in that the experience is key here. And to be under it, you know, th- these are new faces, of course, but they've been under this coaching system, many of them, for a long time, uh, two, three years for a lot of them. Um, and you also have a guy like TJ Bass, highly ranked uh, JUCO recruit um, out of – I believe it was Butte, um, Butte College. Um, and, I mean, all these guys, if, if there's a team that I think could could have these guys ready, despite them all being new faces, I, I definitely think it could be the Ducks. Um, Mirabal, Cristobal. Having, having a head coach that's that was a former offensive lineman helps. No question. Yeah, was right. just going to say, I, I definitely think that they're going to be ready to go. Yeah, I, I think we can. Uh, until proven otherwise, we should we should assume that the Oregon Ducks offensive line under Cristobal is going to be pretty good. Yeah, I mean, the, the one thing to keep in mind is they are going to be learning somewhat of a new system. I'd imagine they're going to switch up some of the run schemes. Um, you know, I have to look more into that exactly, but a lot of more zone, you know, stretch out schemes, uh, get the the running backs going, you know, east west as well as north south. Um, and that's where I think guys like Dollars and Travis Dye could come in, like I mentioned. I do want to just read through the depth chart for the offensive line right now. It's at left tackle, either George Moore or Stephen Jones, whichever one occupies that position. The other one will take the right tackle position. Uh, you mentioned TJ Bass. He's going to be – he's slotted now at least to start at left guard. Uh, Alex Forsyth, Forsyth, excuse me, at center. 
um, Malasalva, Amabe, Lalu at right guard. Um, and then, like I said, the other of either Stephen Jones or George Moore at the other tackle position. Moving on to the defense, um, this was a unit last year that, you know, statistically held up with some of the best Oregon units ever on that side of the ball. Avalos in his first season came over um, from Boise State, and, you know, he ran a ton of different schemes offensively. He wasn't afraid to switch it up. Uh, you know, it was, it was a veteran-laden unit for sure, but we saw a lot of young guys getting involved at times, whether that was either in the middle of games or in blowouts, really. Um, and, and a lot of those faces are guys that have much more prominent roles this year. If we start on the trenches, a defensive end, I mean, Kayvon Thibodeau, you know, he really asserted himself last year. He started only five games, and he was playing in every game, I should mention that, but in only five starts, nine sacks, hit, I believe, two, two and a half in the Pac-12 title game, which I think was a record. Um, just, just wrecked havoc. A lot of them came in fourth quarters, too. Um, he's a guy that has immense potential. Um, and, and, and I want to mention, you know, below him, Brendan Dorless, I think is a guy that, that had some flashes in those, in those moments, you know, late games last, last season, even if they were in garbage time. Uh, what are our expectations for Kayvon? He had nine sacks last year. He's slotted to not only start, but to be like a leader on this defense. I would imagine he probably goes double digit sacks. What is the ceiling for this guy, Chris? I mean, I don't know about double digits given the short season, but fair, obviously fair. A good in, point. A, in a full yeah. length, I, yeah. I think that would be expected out of him. I mean, you hate to put too much pressure on a guy to perform, but obviously we've seen what he can do already. Um, I don't see any reason why he shouldn't win defensive player of the year in the conference. I would agree with that. I think he's got to be the favorite, right? I, I think he's got to be at this point, and I'm excited to watch him. Yeah. I think, too, with him, you know, he's shown the speed and the strength off the edge. He's talked at length about how it's the little things he wants to improve on. I think one of the things I think he could he could shore up the, his run defense a little bit. I mean, it, he, he is clearly a, a, an edge rush specialist, but I think he's got to be well-rounded. I think that's the area to improve if there is one. Moving on to defensive tackle. Um and nose tackle will do this together. Jordan Scott, nose tackle, he's a senior. He's been the starter for three full years now. This will be his fourth. I mean, you've kind of just come to expect it. He eats up blocks. He doesn't get a lot of sacks, but he, he has talent as a pass rusher. He's no Aaron Donald, but he just eats up blocks, and it, it helps these other guys get loose, like a Thibodeau. And then you've got Austin Fialu. Uh, uh, um do we, do we see, you know, breakouts from either of those guys? I think those guys are really steady. I think we know what to expect from them. Behind them, you know, a guy, Popo Amave, we, we saw a lot last year. Um, I feel like, you know, at, towards the end of the season, I was seeing number 50 kind of screaming through in that interior D line quite a, quite a bit. Charlie, whether it's uh, Fallu, Scott, Dorless, like I mentioned, Amave, maybe even a Kayon Ware Hudson, are there guys that you're looking for on this D line? Or is it going to, you know, do you expect just kind of the same success as last season? I expect it to be pretty steady. Uh, like you said, I think Scott is, is a guy that can kind of always know what to expect from. Mm -hmm. And uh, talk about a leader. I mean, he, he's got a huge role on the defense, on the field and locker room no um, with the coaches. He's very respected on the team and plays a huge role. And I think you can expect that week in, week out for sure. Absolutely. The, the position for me that's the most interesting, I think, is linebacker, weirdly. Um, there's a lot of, I mean, we saw Noah Sewell come in, uh, Justin Flo, obviously, these five-star linebackers. But I think a lot of the guys that were already on the team are interesting as well. Um, you know, there's, there's a stud position, and that's what they call it. And the stud position, for those who don't know, is kind of a, a you know, hand-in-the-dirt linebacker. He can play back, but it, they tend to kind of set up post at the, you know, the end of the defensive line so they can pass rush a little bit. Um, last season, it was Bryson Young. Uh, Mace Funa, though, played quite a lot as a freshman. I believe he had four and a half sacks and several tackles for loss. He's really going to get the chance now to, to start, um, and he is listed as the starter. I think that's the guy you look at to break out. Um, and then Austin Fowley's brother, Andrew, um, is listed below him, or Adrian Jackson, who has, I think, been forgotten about because he was a guy as a freshman – he made some splashes and then he was hurt all of last year. Um, I'm going to, I just go through all the positions and then we'll kind of have a more broad discussion at weak side linebacker. I think, I think the guy that, that 
all eyes are on Isaac Slade. Um, I always, I always mess up his last name. Isaac Slade, Matausha, Matatia. Um, Matuitua, maybe. Matuitua, maybe. Uh, um, he's a guy that had, uh, you know, 60 tackles, 60 plus tackles, 10 plus passes defended last season. Um, he was a leader last year. He's even more of a leader this year. I think Troy Dye, you know, spoke, you know, really glowingly of him. A guy with, with capability in the run game and also the pass game. He doesn't have a career interception yet. Or maybe he got one last year. I have to check. But uh, a, a guy you feel comfortable with in coverage. And then here's the guy. He's not listed as an or, but he's a backup. I think you'll see him this year, whether it's in blowouts or just subbed in. I think Justin Flo has got to see the field. If he can pick up the kind of the X's and O's, um, you got a guy like MJ Cunningham there. And then middle linebacker, Drew Mathis, a guy we haven't seen much of um, really at all, or Noah Sewell. And I think a lot of people are pulling for Noah Sewell. And then to cap it off, strong side linebacker. They've listed Kayvon here. Um, Kayvon's going to be playing DN, strong side linebacker. Adrian Jackson is, is behind him. I think that's a place where you will see Adrian Jackson play and below him, the freshman Jackson LaDuke. I pose this question. Um, do, you, do you guys think we see the freshman breakthrough? If so, you know, who's more likely and what, what roles do we see them in? Um, do you guys have any thoughts about a Funa or a Slade or a Drew Mathis? Um, and, and I think, I personally think that this could actually be a strength of the team. I, and I'm just curious to hear you guys, you know, uh, overall thoughts, Chris, if you want to start us off there. Yeah. The, I mean, first, first, uh, first thoughts here is just the amount of names here. Like all of the, guys. these guys, you know, like from last year, obviously Slade was a monster. And I think we should expect that from him again. Um, and I think that takes the pressure off the young guys a little bit, you know, they're, yeah. they're very hyped up Flo and Sewell. And I think with the guys in there from last year and years past who are, are proven and steady, that gives more room for them to try and play a little bit looser and go make a play. Absolutely. I think that's where we're going to see them in the backfield, getting sacks, forcing fumbles, hitting people hard. It almost seems like if we had had kind of, uh, I almost called it a preseason, but that early season, that non-conference schedule where you play teams like Nevada, whatnot, that you see, I think those would be the games where you see guys like Flo maybe come out and he has like a sack and three tackles for loss, and then we don't see him for a while after that. It'll be interesting to see how that works when we start with Pac-12. Um, Charlie, your thoughts? Yeah, definitely. I think, I mean, I think a guy like Slade probably going to get in the lineup a little bit. Like, I think he's going to be dominating that position in my eyes. I mean, I think Flo is going to get in for sure. And um, I mean, name a better guy for Flo to learn behind than Slade. Totally. That's a perfect situation in my eyes. Um, and I shouldn't say dominate. I think they'll be splitting, but I think Slade is going to get the majority. Yeah. And at middle linebacker, I think it's a toss up. Like you said, I think a lot of people are pulling for Noah Sewell. And from what I've heard from coach, like I, I think that the Sewell DNA, like Cristobal comes back to that all the time. He's very yeah. close with their family. He talks up those kids a lot um there's I think a lot of IQ there even for a freshman that's totally a guy that I see understanding the X's and O's and getting in the lineup a lot and, and listen it's an really or big plays no it's an or I, exactly maybe he feels confident in Sewell and he doesn't want to let that confidence go to his head should he have put him down as a starter you would imagine that that's a possibility I don't know if that's really what happened there but we'll we'll see I mean that's one of the biggest things to watch in the Stanford game in my eyes um one thing to mention that I forgot, Samson knew uh, he's not with the program right now. And, and, you know, whether or not he comes back, it is a loss in that I think that was the guy that would have started at middle linebacker, perhaps over both Drew and Noah. Um, so that's a, that's a loss. But I, I think if you're going to lose someone, that's a position where you can afford to lose someone. Before we move on to the secondary, any closing thoughts on the linebackers? All right. Uh, moving on. Like I said, uh, so – you know, we, we, they lost Panay Sewell to opt out, but the, the group that got so hurt was the secondary. Thomas Graham left, and, you know, I'm sitting here thinking, okay, you know, a, a four-year starter, a great – or what would have been a four-year starter, excuse me, a great leader, a really feisty cornerback. He can play the ball, whatnot, um, despite his lack of size. But you have a guy like Mike Hill Wright, who was super hyped up as a freshman. He played a lot. He returned some kicks for touchdowns. Um, so he'll be starting at, at the field cornerback position. Uh, at field safety, it's Verone McKinley again. And I think Verone McKinley was, you know, with all those names, really kind of 
not forgotten about, but wasn't, didn't get maybe his, his, the respect he deserved last year. I think he's talked about it. He's going to be a big earlier this year, him and Javon Holland, who opted out of the, and he played in the nickel position uh, were roommates, good friends. And they've talked about it. I mean, he, he, he expects and his peers expect him to step up. And I think he will. Um, and Jordan Happel, the graduate transfer behind him at field safety at boundary safety, a familiar face, Nick Pickett, a guy who went back and forth on that, you know, strong safety position with, with Brady Breeze for quite a while last season, Brady Breeze kind of took it over at the end there for good reason, but Nick Pickett was always in the fold, a huge hitter in the run game. I, you know, I, I hope he can, I think, I think for him that the past defense is where he's got to improve a little bit. Um, and then at that, at the other boundary corner, um, it's Diamador Lenore, the guy who opted out, opted back in. Another guy who's had a lot of starting experience. He's got a little bit more height. He's a great man coverage guy. Um, and behind him, DJ James, Dante Manning, um, the freshman. Nicole is super interesting to me. And again, we'll kind of, I'll run through the position groups and then we'll throw it to you guys. But I, I, Jamal Hill is a guy that got some hype last year as a freshman, was not highly ranked, but we've seen guys not highly ranked make big impacts. Jamal Hill, uh, he looks like he's going to start at nickel, which is a huge role to fill. Um, and, and, and I think I think for good reason, they have high expectations. He's a, he's a gritty guy. He's athletic. Um, and, and one other name, uh, Bennett Williams, uh, is, I think, a guy to watch at the safety position. Um, so I'll pose the same question again. Guys to look forward to that might break out. Um, do we see any positional shifting? How confident are you in this unit? You know, I think this was a unit that had – great moments last year and then really faltered at times, you know, hence the ASU game where they got, you know, for lack of a better word, torched by Jaden Daniels. I think it was 400 plus yards and three touchdowns. And there was some, some, excuse me, some long, long pass touchdowns. I believe they gave up their longest touchdown of the season in that game. So, uh, you know, Chris, I'll start with you here, but what are our expectations from the secondary? Yeah, it's tough. Like obviously you mentioned breeze, Holland and Graham opting out those those are huge losses for this group um but looking at at their replacements you know like I I feel like they might just pick up where those guys left off you know Verone McKinley like we mentioned before he like he was just as important on that team last year as those other guys yeah right exactly and another name on here is Jordan Happel you know he's he's slotted into second spot in grad transfer that doesn't mean we're not going to see him just because he's not in the starting. He's played uh, in the system, you know, at Boise State with, right. with Avalos, yeah. Yeah, so I, I think Jordan Happel is, is a name to watch for. Where do you think he gets in? Do you think he gets in a field safety, or do you think he gets in at the nickel? See, I, it, it'll depend on the package probably and the matchup and, and how the coaches see it, but – the versatility there is what makes that or makes him as a player like really useful for this defense. And it depends on Jamal Hill's success as well, I'd say. Totally. And and Verons. Yeah, absolutely. What about you, Charlie? Uh, I mean, I think that Diamador opting back in is huge for the boundary. I think if he hadn't, that would have been a, a vulnerability for sure. I mean, yeah. of course, you have Dante Manning. Uh, was a four-star, then upgraded to a five-star. You have DJ James, but those are young guys, right? And um, I think one year to learn under Diamador for those guys, that's that is huge for the team. Absolutely. Huge for that position. And Wright's a guy you're confident in, I think, after what we saw last year, right? Oh, absolutely. I think he's ready to he's ready to go. And he has he has the 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 athleticism and the build to be I think a, 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 a day one or two NFL cornerback and, and Diamador is going to, could go as high as the second round too. I don't want to project too much, but there's guys on this team. Not all of them were highly recruited guys. Michael was a guy like Jamal Hill or DJ James weren't highly recruited, but I think these guys, I, I think the coaching is great. I think Rod Chance is going to take over. I co- uh, coach Keith Hayward has been great. Um, so I think I agree that I think this position will be strong. And I think the defense as a whole I mean, they were top 10, top five for a lot of last season in the nation. And so maybe we slipped down those expectations a tiny bit, but especially when you look at the schedule, which we're going to get into next, I think this unit could be, could be great. Do you guys have any thoughts about where you think this unit may, maybe slots in nationally? I mean, I think the pass defense is going to be second to, to none in the pack 12 uh, in my eyes. I mean, I, I think, I think even with the opt-outs. Exactly. Even with the opt-outs, I think the coaching is so good. They're so deep. Again, I would say Washington. Look at all the. 
Washington has sure. historically sure. great secondaries. And, and you know Cal too. Yeah. Cal too. Cal's Cal's defense was great last year. Uh, I think they'll be good again this year. Um, but I, I think this is definitely a very competitive group around the nation. I mean, we'll see uh, seven game season where they're, where they really end up, but yeah. Chris, yeah. And, yeah um, when you, when you, uh, when you pair this secondary with an elite pass rusher in Kayvon Thibodeau and an experienced defensive line and linebacking crew on top of that, I, I think that that helps them out immensely. Yeah, I agree. I, I think I think the future is bright for this unit, and it's a unit that look either way. If everyone had stayed, they were going to lose a lot of guys after this year anyway. So the fact that they get another year it is is almost helpful because then when these guys are upperclassmen, that unit could look really scary, like it did um, with with guys that started several years, like a Thomas Graham, for example. Moving on, uh, I want to go quickly over Oregon's schedule. I think by now everyone's seen it. Um, we're just going to talk about games that stand out to us. I'll run through it. Um, this Saturday, they host Stanford. Um, then they go to Wazoo. Uh, after that, they'll face UCLA in Autzen. Um, and then they will go on the road to face the Beavers, um, followed by uh, a, another road game, excuse me, uh, at Cal. And then they'll finish off hosting Washington Washington uh, in Eugene. Guys, uh, what's the game you, you're most excited for? Um, and then a game that is a sneaky trap game maybe for this team that I think they have the expectation that they want to be competing for the conference championship again. I'll start with you, Charlie. I think Cal is, is, is an important game. Like I said, really competitive defense. They're going down there, obviously no fans in the stadium, uh, but that'll be an interesting matchup, especially, you know, we'll see how the quarterback position is doing. We'll see how the offense is doing under Moorhead. Um, we'll see how the O-line is doing. A lot of question marks on offense. And, you know, as far as the Cal defense goes, they, they look pretty good again. Yeah. So, it's nice that they had that game late, I will say. Definitely. That's a team that, that could really, you know, unravel some of some of your schemes early on if you were to play them maybe in the first game or something like that. What about you, Chris? Um, I think the most important game is Stanford week one. Uh, we'll, we'll get into Stanford a little bit next, but – we're going to know right away who's the favorite in the division after one week. And I think Stanford, Oregon is going to be a great litmus test for, for both teams and the entire conference. When you look at games that could be traps, I mean, it's hard to avoid, you know, looking at the Beavs game, Oregon state plays them close. Usually it's a rivalry. Obviously we know that um, it was a really close game last year uh, and it was in Austin. It's going to be down in Corvallis this year. And that's a team that's coming. I think Jonathan Smith, their coach, is doing the right things. Um, they're on the right track there. So I'd look at that one. Um, you know, I would, you know, typically have said Wazoo, but they've got a new quarterback, a new coach, whatnot. It's a little different DNA there. But I think everything you guys said makes sense. Um, and that leads us really into our next section. Chris, you wrote this week about Stanford. You did a deep dive into the team. Um, you know, in a second, you know, introduce us to Sanford. What are some matchups? What are some players to watch? You know, how was their off season? Who have they lost? Um, maybe where do they fall short? Um, and, and kind of set, set up Stanford for us. Yeah, so Stanford's coming off their worst season in about 12 years. A four and eight year miss a bowl game. And what we've seen from Stanford over the last decade was, was not what we saw last year. So that makes that puts David Shaw and the entire team in a really weird spot. Uh, on top of that, they had 16 people transfer away, including their starting quarterback, KJ Costello, who is down at Mississippi State right now. Um, so they're really coming into this season uh, looking for an identity. Um, so players to watch for. Um, I was doing my research and, you know, I wanted to see who was returning. Mainly, it is their receivers and their offensive line and their quarterback. So when you look at their offense, they have Davis Mills as their quarterback. And last year, he came in for uh, Costello. He played in eight games. He didn't start all eight games, but he threw for almost 2,000 yards, 11 touchdowns, five picks. So he provides them with, with a very serious option at quarterback. And with the weapons around him, I think, and the line on top of that, I think that he is a player watch for in the conference and in the division, not only just in this game. And the receivers um, that's too, being, right? 
Right, yeah. That being said, right, yeah, the receivers, uh, almost all of their uh, receiving production in and outside of their tight end comes back next year. Uh, And one key guy for them is going to be Connor Weddington. He not only as a receiver, he had around 500 yards last year, and they've got about three other guys. uh, Osiris St. Brown's one. Um, I forget the others. That's that's on me. Uh, But Connor Weddington, as a punt returner, led the conference last year with about 28.1 yards per return. So not only uh, in uh, on offense, he's a special teams nightmare as well. So he's a player to watch for in this first week against Oregon. Absolutely, and and I think you know they two the their two opt outs are guys that are going to hurt them. We'll get to the defense in a second, but on on offense they lose tackle Walker Little Walker Little, excuse me. And this is a team that historically has good play on the offensive line. Almost every year they have a guy going in the first or second round of the NFL draft. Without Walker Little, do you worry at all about the offensive line, or do you think they'll be able to pick it up where they kind of left off? Um, I don't think there's really a reason to be worried about it. They were they struggled with a lot of injuries last year on the line, and they're returning uh, most of them, actually. Um, for starters, tackle Foster Serrell is going to be back. He's a, he's kind of like Walker Little, you know, huge dude, four- or five-star talent. Uh, yeah. I think that that's pretty commonplace with Stanford and the line, like I said, the past decade. He was kind of the next guy there, right? Yeah. Yeah, so – they're going to be big. They're going to be talented. Pretty much what you expect from a Stanford offense. Um, honestly, the only thing that they're lacking on offense that we're used to seeing from them is a elite tight end and a workhorse running back. Yeah. What, what um, does the rotation look like at running back? And you mentioned the tight ends. I mean, they've sent a guy, whether it was Kobe Parkinson, Austin Hooper, they, they tend to send a lot of tight ends to the NFL. Yeah, they're tight end. They're pretty much tight end you right now. Um, last year it was Colby Parkington. I think he's with the Seahawks right now. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't think it's kind of like we were talking about with Oregon replacing the linemen. I don't think it's really something that they're worried about. Um, do, you, do you see a guy in that running back room, though, sw- switching gears here that, that could maybe have that work, work horse kind of load? Or is it going to be a committee approach there, do you think? Uh, it's probably going to be by committee um, as I pull up their depth chart. Uh, one guy that I thought is very interesting, they have a true freshman in EJ Smith, and he's actually Emmett Smith's son. Oh, wow. So I'm thinking uh, he's a player to watch for, uh, of course, Hall of Fame DNA. Uh, so I, they expect him to get some uh, some carries but Austin Jones is going to be the guy that's going to get the majority he's a sophomore um, and again running behind a giant line and having receivers on the outside that uh, right. the quarterback the won't to. be on the run game yeah exactly so expect Davis Mills you know he's it's really going to come down to him how he, he plays, how he how he uses his weapons, and, and how this be, they this attack. This will be a test for that young secondary we just talked about, I think. Yeah, right. And I think that's going to be the matchup to look for this, this first week is going to be those receivers and that quarterback face against our – not our, excuse me, the Ducks uh, secondary, you know. A lot of, like, losing three guys in the secondary, that's tough. So we're going to see we're gonna see how that plays out. On defense, um, you know, correct me if I'm wrong here, but it's it's a lot of shuffling. There's a lot of guys out, uh, Debo, um, Paulson and Debo, excuse me, who you know, was a highly touted, you know, uh, potential NFL draftee at corner. He's out. Um, they also are short two guys this week. Uh, Gabe Reed, they're kind of, you know, I'd say most experienced. He's a senior returning uh, outside linebacker. He's had, I think, about eight and a half career sacks um, after he redshirted a year. But uh, Caillou Kelly, another one of their, um, and I, I misplaced his first name, but he's a guy that's got a lot of hype as that other corner. Um, he's actually out as well. So now you have, you know, and this is something we'll get into in a second, but you have a, a really young secondary there. And they don't have a lot of leadership on the defense. The defense is where they struggled a lot last year. In years past, they've had that anchor guy on the line. Whether it was someone who went on to the NFL or not, they've had a, a, a veteran-laden unit with, with, with clear leaders 
um, and clear producers, and they don't have that this year. Chris, I'll throw this back to you, um, and Charlie, you can chime in here in a second as well, but with those guys out, you know, what are your expectations for this defense? Are there any other names that you think could pop up, or is it more of just kind of a wait and see in a weird way? Um, I think it's a little bit of both. Uh, Caillou Kelly was he was the star, going to be the star of the defense, and him being out, I'm not sure how long he's going to be out, but at least for this first week, you know, that's kind of a breath of fresh air for the Ducks. Uh, especially, it would have been something to see with him and Adebo paired up as a cornerback duo. That would have been really fun to watch. Maybe not for the Ducks, but for the rest of the country. Um, sliding in for uh, at safety is going to be Ethan Bonner. He's a third year out of Texas, and he's finally healthy after a torn ACL. And David Shaw talked a lot about him, uh, saying he looked really good at practice and training camp. And to go along with that, uh, Salim Turner-Muhammad and Zaran Manley, they're also second-year cornerbacks. They're going to be filling in for, for Kelly and trying to pick up the slack from where he, he we'll left. see a lot left of those off. guys on Saturday, it sounds like, yeah. Yeah. Charlie, you've listened now. You've done your research. Um, I'm curious uh, what your opinions are about both, you know, places where Stanford might um, ex or could at least maybe exploit this young Oregon team and then vice versa, you know, where you think this um, completely turned over Stanford team might really struggle in either um, stopping uh, or, or, you know, guarding against uh, some form of, of an Oregon attack. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that the Stanford defense, uh, I mean, as much as Oregon's offense is, is kind of up in the air, I mean, we'll see how they do again. But I think that the Stanford defense could possibly kind of get hurt here. Um, I think that Oregon's got some scary receivers. I think Verdell's going to have a big game, um, depending on the O-line, of course. But And then on the other side of the ball, I, I think that this is a huge litmus test for the the Oregon secondary, a, a young squad, like you said, guys like Barone, guys like Michael Wright getting their first kind of big opportunities here. And Stanford's got some good receivers, some fast guys, and, and we'll see, see how they do. Absolutely. Let's pick this game. Uh, Chris, I'll start with you. Give me a, a score prediction and maybe a reason or two uh, why you picked the score. Uh, well, I had it originally at like a, a closer game, 21 to maybe 10, but I'm going to say 31 to 10 Oregon. I think uh, a couple key guys being out on defense for Stanford is really going to help the Ducks put up some points. Charlie? I agree. Um, I, I pick it at 27-10 Ducks. Uh, I think, I think C.J. Verdell is going to have a big game, um, you know, offensive line providing. And uh, I think that the Stanford receivers early in the game with, with some of these guys, some of, the, some of the corners and guys in the secondary for the Ducks, I think that some of those guys might have some nerves. And I, yeah. I, I think it's definitely possible that Stanford receivers make it really close in the first half. Um, we might be going to the halftime, you know, 10-10. Uh, but I think that the Ducks will pull away, make adjustments at halftime and eventually pull away in the second half. Absolutely. What um, about you? I kind of vacillated back and forth a little bit. You know, I had, I had it being closer, low scoring. Um, I'm going to go 31-17, but I don't think it's actually necessarily going to be that close. My thought is that, like you guys, um, that that Stanford defense is is a nice runway for the Ducks to get going offensively, both through the air and on the ground with C.J. Verdell, who should be healthy by all accounts, and that's big because, like I said, he gets a lot of these nagging injuries you know, usually in, in second halves of these conference games, um, I think there's going to be a late touchdown. I think it might be a, a, you know, a 20 point lead. And then, you know, maybe Mills just airs one out at the end of the game, or they put in backups at the end of the game and there's a garbage time touchdown. So that's why I say 17. Um, we'll see though. It looks like we all think that Oregon could and, re and really should, if they're the team that they think they are win this game comfortably, I'd say at least by double digits. Um, and this is a Stanford team that in the past, they've had some classics with this, with this Stanford uh, bunch, but this is not the same Stanford team. Chris talked about that. They're going into the season kind of without an identity. You can look at those receivers and that, that passing game, but a lot of new faces, just like with the ducks. And I think you just put more faith in the ducks right now. Um, our, our last section here, I want to just kind of go around the PAC 12 a little bit. Um, 
there's three games that kind of caught our eyes and I'll just kind of let you guys riff off these. I think the biggest one in the conference, uh, you know, regardless of even Oregon's game has got to be uh, ASU at USC. USC's ranked 20th. They've got a ton of talent, but ASU with Jaden Daniels is a scary team. I think that team's well coached. Uh, Jaden Daniels, you know, he had some, some weird games where he didn't always look great, but I think overall as a true freshman, you have to be really impressed, especially when you look at that Oregon game. Um, Charlie, why is this a game that people should wake up uh, for and and watch at 9 a.m. on Saturday? Yeah, to my first point, I think it's totally bizarre that this game would be at 9 a.m. Um, this just seems like another slip up by Larry Scott in the Pac-12 here, but anyways. It, once again. it does. It does. Once again, fumbling. Um, however, I think I think ASU is dangerous, and I, I honestly think they're very underrated. I mean, I think that they should be in the top 25 at this point. I do. I mean, given that they beat Oregon last year, um, that's a huge statement, obviously, for Jane Daniels. They have a, a returning – obviously, Iuk is in the NFL now. Um, and Darby. Darby was another sneaky good weapon for them. Uh, is he as not well going as, back? He, I think – yeah, wait, I think he maybe. I think okay, he is. Okay. That was I was just about to say. I, th- I think you know he Benjamin though. Is might not. be. You know Benjamin. He's not. He's not. One of the best runners in the Pac-12 period. I yeah. Believe, I believe the Cardinals picked him up, so he'll be. Yeah. So the, the yeah. top two weapons, if you will. But yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um. But yeah. I mean that that might make it an even bigger game for them, right? Uh. In a lot of ways, uh, an opportunity to make a statement for both teams. I think uh, you just have to. You just have to. You know, there has been some turnover. Um, th- that defense didn't have a lot of guys that jumped out at you last year, but it wasn't a bad defense. And I think another year, um, I think they do things the right way down there um, in Tempe. And and I think that it comes down to the offensive line being able to pr- protect Jaden Daniels against this, this USC team that, you know, whether or not these guys have produced, they have athletes on that side, on both sides of the ball, but really on that defense especially. Um, I think offensively, they've had such a revolving door kind of situation at quarterback. I believe it's Keaton Slovis. Um, he's healthy again. He looked great. Um, they also have JT Daniels there, a, high, a highly uh, ranked recruit when he came in. Chris, do, do you where do you stand with this game? I mean, I think USC is the favorite. They're ranked, obviously, but do you see it? Maybe a potential upset pick, and what are you looking for in this game? I'm looking at the quarterback matchup, Daniels versus Slovis. That's going to be huge. I think there's going to be a lot of points put on the board. You would imagine. But at the end of the yeah, at the end of the day, I, I think USC playing at home, they're favorited. Uh, I think USC is going to win, but it'll be interesting to see how the 9 a.m. time slot kind of plays into things too. Yeah. What do you guys think? Like, do you, do you maybe envision a certain headline coming out of this game? I mean, the quarterbacks is is definitely a place to start, but. What do you think this game could tell us about these teams in the Pac-12 in the grand scheme? Because these are two teams that are really talented and Oregon won't face in the regular season, but could well see them in the postseason. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think it's interesting. Again, I think it's a, a huge opportunity for both, both teams to make a statement. ASU, obviously, some big losses uh, in the offseason, some, some huge targets on offense. But if they squeaked out a win against USC, first of all, it wouldn't look weird to me. I think that they're a very competitive team. I think they're very well coached. I think they're disciplined. Um, but it would also just be a massive statement to go to USC and get a win week one Absolutely. against a ranked a ranked Trojan team. And so. I think eyes are, eyes are on USC to kind of hold up there under the bargain with this Pac-12 thing. I mean, Oregon is, is the, the, the class of the Pac-12 now, but if, if the Pac-12 and Larry Scott have any hopes of making this conference, conference excuse me, relevant again, it has to start with USC. They've underperformed. I know they've had injuries. They've had turnover. They decide to keep their coach and not go a different route when that would be an extremely attractive job opening. So I think I think it's a game that you at USC needs to win. But like you guys said, I mean, I think Jaden Daniels is feisty. And I think this is a guy that could easily be a top three quarterback in this league this year, if not compete for the maybe the best quarterback in the Pac-12. Am I crazy to say that, guys? No, I don't, I don't think so. I don't think it'd be crazy to say that the winner of this game is going to win the Pac-12 South either. You don't want to count on you don't want to count out Utah, of course, but I, I think these two are, are really the best two in that division. Absolutely. To, I think moving on, our last game is Wazoo at um, the Beavers OSU. 
not much going on here. I mean, these teams, you know, figure to be some of the, the bottom most teams in the conference, but two new, uh, or sorry, two new quarterbacks starting um, and a new coach in Wazoo. Mike Leach is gone to Mississippi State, where funny enough, he has KJ Costello now, a guy who has never been able to recruit well there, obviously, because it's in the desert, essentially, in, in up there in Washington and Pullman. Um, but his scheme for some reason, just gets people. I mean, the, the passing volume, he sent several quarterbacks to the league now. Uh, will you guys be tuning into this game at all? Definitely. Uh, 100%. I, yeah. OSU has been moving in the right direction. Uh, Wazoo, like you said, I mean, they're feisty, man. They they gave the Ducks a scare in Austin last year. Um, came down to the final drive of the game. Herbert had to march down the field. Um I'll definitely be tapping into this game. 100%. Yeah, I, I'm I'm really looking forward to this game. I think it's the perfect Pac-12 after dark game. Uh, last year, <laughs> I watched it. Maybe. I'm not sure how much of the nation's going to be tuning in for this thing. Or... Yeah, right, right. I, I, I watched an embarrassing amount of Hawaii football last year. So uh, Nick Rolovich, the former Hawaii coach, has taken over at Wazoo. And along with him, he's bringing Jaden Delora, a true freshman quarterback from Hawaii, and I am predicting right now he's going to throw for 350-plus yards on Saturday. Did you, I, th- I think DeLauro lost out on the job, if I'm not mistaken. I think they elected to go with someone older, no? Do you think he has a nope. chance to still break through? No, nope, they uh, they named it yesterday. Oh, really? Okay, all right. Yep, they so, announced it yesterday. So It was looking like they might go older, but they, they signed there, so we'll have some youth. Um, I wonder how much of that old uh, Wazoo DNA will still be in this team. Um, a big game for the Beavs, who, like we've talked about, are, are do seem to be going in the right direction, uh, playing defense. Uh, one of our favorite names in the Pac-12, Hamilcar Rashad Jr., a guy who causes absolute havoc um, in the front seven for the Beavers. Um, so that'll be another interesting one. But look, guys, uh, you know, this is this has been a blast. We'll have these every week. That's kind of going to wrap up our, our first and, and pretty long episode. They'll probably be shorter moving forward as we have a little bit less to talk about. Um, that's us signing off. I've been Shane Hoffman here with Charlie Gearing and Chris Brulette. And uh, check us out uh, weekly, maybe bi-weekly, on the uh, Emerald Sports Podcast SoundCloud. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Take care. Thanks.